Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition brought to you by Campus 2 Canton. I am your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge. And father of the year, Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Um, gentlemen, I was gone last week. Uh, now that I know the results, I wish I had stayed home. But, uh, you know, such is life. Went and watched my Diamondbacks lose the World Series. Uh, but I'm back. Um, you guys did a great job without me last week. And hopefully we can keep that momentum going. And I was 500 again. I know, Nick, you had a close to 500 week, you know, when the industry was, you know, right around 40% or something. So, you know, I'll take five and five. And I think you'll take 500 on a week like last week, right? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, obviously would would like to uh, be better. Our, our goals are higher than that. Um, but I usually, uh, or at least this year, I haven't paid a, a ton of attention to the industry as a whole, but I did happen to look up some numbers last week and it, it seems like it's uh, been, been tough out there uh, for, you know, a lot of... Uh, really well-regarded models, a lot of really smart people. Um, I know last week in particular, I, I did take a look because we had a very, very strange week uh, where all of our models, including over-unders, our team strength, talent edge, prism model, uh, all finished exactly 500. Um, so I did just happen to glance. Uh, there's some folks out there who, who track a lot of, you know, dozens of different uh, projection models, and there were there were a lot of numbers in the 40s, and not very many um, above 50. So I, I guess we should consider ourselves fortunate, um, but we do, of course, have uh, larger aspirations. And and you know, with the way that we project things towards the end of the season, we typically see better numbers than we do middle of the year. Hopefully that will hold. Uh, unfortunately, a big reason for that is because a lot of teams are impacted by injury. Um, and that obviously uh, is is the case. But uh, yeah, it was a strange week. It looked like early Saturday, we were in store for maybe our worst week ever. Then in the middle of the week or you know middle of the day, that, that 3.30 window uh, couldn't lose. And then by the end of the end of the night, it, it settled back down at exactly 500, all four uh, columns across the board. Did have a good week, uh, finished above 500 in the all three agree on the favorite and finished up, I think three and a half units was was what it was uh, in wrong team favorite, which is great because we went over uh, the previous week. So uh, all said and done, you know, pretty Pretty uh, pleased, I suppose, or at least should consider ourselves relatively fortunate. And the uh, win totals, preseason win totals, I don't think we've mentioned those at all so far this year, but uh, still early. I think we're like 45, fewer than 50 uh, teams are decided, but we are up uh, 12 and a half units right now in those. That's so awesome. uh, hopefully that continues, or at least, you know, we, we keep that level of. Uh, uh, cushion above 500 and and continue to put up a good number in those for the third year in a row. Xavier, uh, how did week 10 treat you? Did you enjoy some of these games? What did, what were you surprised by? And what were you just not surprised by at all? It just felt like 
it felt like heart attack week for a lot of these teams, to be honest with you. Um, some of the score lines are a little bit more flattering than obviously what ended up happening. Uh, but you had Georgia, obviously, in, in, a, in a really good game versus Missouri. Um, Ohio State was in a, a slugfest for two and a half quarters versus Rutgers. Um, Florida State, similarly to Ohio State, in a complete slugfest with Pittsburgh, when it seemed like neither team would find the end zone for that part. That one screwed game. me. I had Florida State and the over in that game. And then I, I, I had no idea Keon Coleman wasn't playing. They're just like, yeah, yeah Keon Coleman's not playing. Keon and Johnny Wilson both decided. Well, Wilson's been banged up, but well, yeah, but you know, know. but like, you know, they, they, this was obviously a game that they felt that they could rest. Um, sure. Healthy, they treated this like yeah. a bye week. They got they Miami this week, that's why. Uh, so yeah, so you know, then obviously um, Washington was in an absolute barnstormer versus USC. Um, I mean, you've got you guys obviously having to go to overtime against Kansas State. I genuinely was worried about you for a second there. I was like, I don't think he could handle another big loss. Um, yeah. I was like, this is no way. So <laughs> I was feeling for you there. I was like, I, don't, I was I don't watching want- that on my friend's couch. And I was like, you know, if they would have lost this game, that would have meant absolutely no shot at the national title. I still don't know if they have a realistic shot, but uh, that I know with two losses, no one with two losses has made the playoff yeah. ever. So, right. you know, uh, they were they are definitely out of it if they lose this game to K State. So uh, I was like, thank God they won. I don't know if I I probably would have never gone back to Arizona. So I mean, <laughs> the Steelers went on uh, Thursday night football. No thanks. Yes. So yeah. So um, obviously Alabama pulls through after LSU loses Jaden Daniels. Um, OU falls to Oklahoma State in the last bedlam possible, and they lose in the they lose in the most bedlam way possible. With a pass interference not being called, <laughs> pretty pretty bla- pretty blatant one at that. Felt like it was uh, pretty egregious for you not to call that one against uh, against Stoops. Arizona took it to UCLA. That right? one really wasn't close. Uh, not at all. I mean, the, the final score looks a little closer than the game felt. Um, yeah. But that one felt, <laughs> you know, it wasn't quite Utah fifty-five to three against Arizona State. But I mean, Arizona just controlled that game. Yeah. Um, Same with Army. Absolutely taking Air Force to the woodshed. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I saw that coming. You know, 23-3 for Air Force, I think, coming into that week was top five in offensive production or something mm-hmm. crazy. They were, they were one of the best offenses in the country. and they just. I think to- everybody picked uh, uh, Air Force on yeah. game day, too. I was I actually did watch a little bit of, of game day because my guy, Nate Bargetzi, uh was on game day as the picker. So, but he's a Vandy fan, so they're never going to go to Vandy. So they went to Bama. His wife's from Bama. They're like, all right, you can come uh, and, and do the picks here uh, for the uh, Bama game. So he he was pretty funny, but there were people mad. I think he called Oklahoma the new Vanderbilt. And I, I was like, I like that right there. You know, I enjoyed it, but there's a lot of people upset about it. So and I'm, 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 I'm not sure I've ever said this before about a team, but even with three games left, I'm, I'm not sure if Florida makes a bowl game. Uh, them losing in overtime to Arkansas felt like a sword in the coffin. And they're not I – mean, obviously, they've had three games left. College football is one of the most unguessable things in the world. But you felt like a 2-6 and six Arkansas team was their best chance of getting the six wins. And it's like, now what is it? LSU, Missouri, and Florida State to end the year? It's just like, yeah, yeah. real missed opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely an interesting week and we are moving more. I cannot believe we are so close uh, 
to the end to to being done. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's uh this is week 11, 12 and 13 then conference championships are week 14. Uh so yeah, I mean, hey, I I posted in the Campus Canton Discord in the C2C Winning Edge tier channels about, you know, if you've got uh, suggestions for things that you'd like to see in 2024, now's the time. I'm, I mean, I, I've, I'm already working in the 2024 returning production database, uh, going in, clearing things out, getting organized. So it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about. It seems like, you know, just yesterday we were uh, in the middle of our three and a half hour conference preview shows. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's already uh, nearing time to to wrap things up. But on that note, and speaking of which, I got there, something we could change for next year. Uh, yeah, the three and a half hour conference preview. Show. <laughs> <laughs> we, I think we've said that three years in a row. We can. It never works. I'm we just, will, we I'm will just try hoping our very best. No one said get rid of Bogman in that Discord. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, one or two, okay, but hopefully not a bunch. But uh, uh, let's. Uh, I'm, I'm open. I'm open. Now's the time. If you if you've got ideas, uh, we can maybe squeeze one or two things uh, into those databases or our team profiles, whatever. Um, but now's the time because it's it's time to get to work. It is. I mean, yeah. The uh, I'm kind of doing the same thing. I'm working on like. Uh, baseball spreadsheets for next year for my fantasy baseball stuff. And yeah, it is uh, the football season is uh, for college anyways, winding down. We're about halfway through a little over halfway through the NFL season as well. So um, yeah, we're starting to get into the nasty weather stuff as well, which seems to be uh, coming on more and more every single week, but let's go into week 11 and we are going to start with that Miami and Florida State game. The current line is Florida State by 14 and a half. They are at home. Uh, the total here is where to go. Do we have the total here? Uh, 50 and a half. Um, and I don't know, Nick, this game, Florida State has let me down so many times this year. I feel like every time I pick them, they don't cover. And every time I do pick them, uh, they don't. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Florida State. I, I'm assuming they're going to smack down Miami because I'm paying. I, I'm not going to touch it. Uh, this, Florida State is getting no more of my money. Uh, so they will probably smack down Miami here. Miami is a bit of a mess. They've had problems at quarterback. Tyler Van Dyke can't stop throwing uh, interceptions. So um, how do you see this game playing out? Well, I, I, for one, this game and another one that we'll talk about, uh, I think maybe right after, um, I'm, I'm happy that Miami is not a favorite in this game because we're, we were what, three weeks in a row where they were in that, uh, <laughs> all three models agree that Miami would cover as a favorite. And I mean, they lost outright last, the last two weeks, right? At least last week at Cincy state, things are definitely running together uh in, in my mind but um uh, so so fortunately don't have to uh worry about miami in that particular category uh, you know dragging us down a little bit uh from reaching our full potential but uh all three projection models agree on miami again this week you know fortunately from that standpoint our point spreads 14 and a half, uh, which is a you know pretty big number. And Florida State is obviously 
one of the very best teams in the country. Nine and zero. I mean, they're they're sixth in our power rankings, but um, they are a team that is capable of winning the national championship, in, in my opinion. And and you know, started to think along those lines right around this time last year. They were really starting to ramp up and and become one of the uh, you know best teams on the field in college football. And they've carried it over. They've they've certainly you know, not been dominant. Um, last week against Pitt certainly weren't dominant. We've seen them uh, really, you know, kind of struggle against Boston College, for instance. Um, there have been times where this team looks beatable, yet they have not been beaten. So um, Florida State, understandably, a favorite in this game. Our projections couldn't quite get to uh, double digits in, in any of the three models. Uh, actually, I take that back in our, our prism model, our stats only model. Um, it's right. Uh, it's a little less than 14. So that one's, that one's pretty close, but the talent edge and the team strength, uh, both of those are much closer to, uh, one touchdown than they are two. So, um, Miami is a team that is certainly talented enough. Um, they just haven't been playing, particularly well and you know lost uh last week against nc state um struggled to put away virginia um had the the losses uh, the, the inexcusable loss of course to georgia tech and and you know didn't play particularly well uh against north carolina but then they're capable of of finding a way to beat clemson so um this is a team that uh still grades out pretty well in team performance, believe it or not. They're 15th in our team performance ratings, um, which take into account, you know, uh, dozens of, of advanced stats and, and tries to to weed out some of the um, less, you know, predictable type things, less uh, uh, projectable. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling to find the right word I want to find here. But, you know, this is a Miami team that definitely still has fallen short of expectations. Um, Tyler Van Dyke, it sounds like, is very, you know, on shaky ground as far as whether or not he'll even start this game at quarterback. We might have an opportunity to see Emory Williams. I would pretend, you know, I, I would be kind of surprised at that uh, given the, you know, the, the, the matchup here. Um, but I don't know. This Miami team is, is just really difficult to uh, truly – you know, for me, wrap my head around because they're a team that our projections consistently think very, very highly of. They're still a top 20 team in our overall power rankings, top 20 in, in roster strength. And like I said, 15th in team performance, which you would expect um, that that's going to be the number that that is the most harsh on a team like Miami that's that struggled uh, at times. But um, they're a talented team and, and Florida State has been banged up. You mentioned Keon Coleman was out last week. Johnny Wilson was out. Um, it sounds like uh, both of those guys might be available. Hopefully they were able to, to get back up to full strength and we will see more of a, uh, you know, Florida State team closer to 100%. But, um, man, I don't know. I, I understand why our projections are, are seeing this as, you know, more of a 10-point uh, game than a 14-and-a-half-point game. Um, but this Miami team – it's really difficult to to know what you're going to expect one week 
to the next? Will they play up to the level of Florida State? Or like you said, will you know this be an opportunity for Florida State to really flex it, its muscle um, and, and kind of pull away in, in a big rivalry game? I don't have a great read on it, but uh, our numbers are pretty clear that that Miami should be able to you know keep this within two scores. Yeah, like I said, I'm not betting on it, so Florida State will destroy Miami this week, uh, <laughs> as uh, the the betting gods know here. Xavier, do you have a good feel one way or the other between Miami and Florida State? Because like Miami is one of these teams I see like USC was for a long time, maybe still is. Texas might still be kind of in that category, even though they are playing better and seem like a better team now. But mm-hmm. you know, Florida State, you could throw in there a, a lot of teams that recruit well every single year and can never seem to get over the hump. So um, is that where we're, we're still at with Miami and Florida? St- if that's the case, I think Florida st- state should stomp them. And that's why the line is over two touchdowns here, but I don't know. Um, you know, they have a lot of talent. If they yeah, can put it together sure. for one, you know, for one game, they could probably beat most teams. So it just makes them incredibly unpredictable. Absolutely. It, it, my biggest thing with this game is, it's not on Miami that I'm I'm confused about necessarily. I want to see if Florida State cannot play with its food. They've done this a couple of times this year where I felt like they were just the flat-out better team um, and have come into the game slow or they've slept walk. I mean, you remember the Boston College game. Everybody remembers the Clemson game that they won in overtime. Everybody remembers the Duke game for the first two and a half quarters. And it's like, all right, cool. We want to see you dominate a team that is, is, is good – we're tired of you guys dominating bad teams. That that's cute, but like, can you dominate a team that on paper is is talented enough to beat you guys if you sleepwalk for a quarter or two, or if Jordan Travis does not protect the football uh, like he's had you know points this year where he's decided hey, you know I'm gonna be a little risky or I'm gonna be the gunslinger that I believe him to be. Like, I just think there's some time that there's really certain aspects of the game where. In a rivalry game, you got to bury the guys early and not give them any hope. Because um, if you do, as we know in rivalry games, once you give a team hope that's been kicked around and punched down on, especially one that's Miami, who's still an extremely prideful bunch, you find yourself in a game in the third and fourth quarter and you're starting to battle it out. And so for me, I expect Florida State to win this game. I expect Florida State to win this game handedly. But it's on Florida State to do that from the jump street, not wait until the third quarter when now you guys feel like you've got an opportunity to run away with this game or not, you know, in in the second half when now we're going into halftime 14-14 because it's going to come a game where you do that and it just doesn't work out in your favor. Um, or, you know, you're really nail-biting down the stretch and you have to kick like a game winner for the uh, – kick a game winner. It comes down for me is it's going to come down to Jordan Travis. At the end of the day, that kid is how that offense goes and his decision-making more than anything – always tells me how this game's kind of going to kind of go for Florida State. If he's, you know, sitting in the pocket, making good reads, uh, being calm whilst in the pocket, I'm like, all right, cool. This should be a pretty easy win for Florida State. Uh, making the right read early on in his in his progression, all right, cool. This should be a pretty simple day. On the flip side, if he's a little bit more hectic, you know, running around like a chicken with his head cut off, which he does seem to do at times, uh, trying to always hit the deep ball, uh, maybe pressing a little bit, I'm like, this might be a game I need to stick around for and watch a little bit to see if Florida State can really get themselves out of this. Um, his numbers don't necessarily suggest that, but when you watch his tape, I'm just like, you guys are so much more talented. Like, just chill. Like, calm down. You don't have to be Superman, you know, 20% of the time. Just be 
like, just like calm down. That, that's my <laughs> biggest thing with Jordan Travis. Whenever I watch him play, I just want to give him a give him a chill pill and just be like, hey, you got Keon Coleman, you got Johnny Wilson, you have a Trey Benson in the backfield, you've got Jaheim Bell doing his thing. Like you've got more than enough talent to where you don't have to be a superhero, you know, every time you drop back. Be uh, Brock Purdy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that's okay. Like, I understand you want to get to the next level, but if I can see on tape that you protect the football and do the right thing with the ball, somebody will draft you. Um, You know, but on the flip side of that, I think Tyler Van Dyke does have to be Superman to win this game. I I think this is a guy who I I think needs to, you know, really put together a performance that we haven't seen from them since, what, against Texas A&M earlier this year, where – you know, at that point, I did think Miami was a comparable team to Florida State, but since then, obviously, we've seen otherwise. But I need to see him put together, uh, you know, a, a Heisman-like performance, right? You know, in that in the A&M game, he went for 300-plus yards, five touchdowns, only threw, uh, threw no interceptions and only threw nine incompletions. And since then, he just has not been able to replicate a performance anywhere near that, um, you know. But you know what? To be honest with you, if he can get close to what he was able to do against UNC – that might be enough to keep them in this ball game. Just to give people a reminder, 391, four touchdowns, two interceptions, 31 of 48. I mean, this is a guy who has the talent, but I need to see it on display more often. And this is the game where if you're a Miami fan, this is where you need him to step up. This is where you expect the guy who's been a part of this program for a couple of years now, who's been a guy who you know started off extremely hot um, and has cooled down a bit, to still be able to turn it on when need be, to still be able to show the rest of the country and the team across from him that I still got it. You know, um, he's going into, you know, this is only his junior year, so he's got one more season left. But it's going to leave Miami fans with a, with a really, really excited taste in their mouths if he's able to go and beat Florida State on Saturday, uh, even if even with it not having any real, you know, postseason ramifications. Then being able to beat Florida State on Saturday, they'll be able to carry that for the next 365, just to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but it Neither would. Uh, so it would definitely carry them. Let's go over to the next game. USC on the road at Oregon. This is a Pac-12 after dark game. The line is Oregon by 14 and a half. 73 and a half is the total here, which seems like a high total. But after they put up 90 in the game between USC and Washington last week, maybe it's not that high, Nick. I like the over in this game. I also like Oregon in this game. I think they are a much better team than USC, and they're playing at home. I know Alex Grinch, finally, uh, the last straw was last week. He finally got let go. Um, Maybe that will energize the defense a little bit, but I don't think it's going to make them stop Oregon. I mean, you know, that's a tall task to ask anybody. So um, Oregon averaging the most points in the nation uh, per game this year. USC averaging the second most. So, that's why this total is ridiculously high, and I still think it goes over. So uh, your thoughts on this Pac-12 after dark game? Yeah, well, so when I mentioned uh, this time last year, it looked like Florida State was really starting to gear up and was for a period playing like the best team in college football. I think that right now uh, Oregon is, is kind of that team, uh, even though they came up on the losing end against Washington. Um, this Oregon team, I mean, grades out incredibly well. You mentioned how well they're scoring. Um, they're, you know, number one in the country in success rate when you filter out garbage time. Uh, they are number two in 
uh, predicted points added per play, the, the EPA equivalent at collegefootballdata.com. Uh, they're number two in points per drive. They're top five in yards per play. Um, they're top 20 in, in yards per pass attempt. So um, this Oregon offense is just just really, really difficult for any body to stop. Uh, they're number two in offensive team performance, number one passing, number two rushing. And they're going up against USC defense, as you mentioned, that that has finally, after uh, you know more than a year of, of folks calling for it, uh, moved away from its its defensive coordinator. USC ranks 94th in defensive team performance. Uh, they are 129th in rushing defensive team performance, 93rd against the pass. And Oregon, you know, can can line up and uh, move the football in a variety of ways you know Bo Nix has played very very well um that passing attack he and, and Troy Franklin Tess Johnson has been huge the last couple of weeks um but then they can run it I know Bucky Irving was banged up a little bit it sounded like he missed a practice early in the week but hopefully trending in the right direction uh but you know that running attack uh Jordan James has has played quite well backing up this year and, and they've got some depth and, you know, Bo Nicks can run it a little bit uh, as well. So this Oregon offense and the team as a whole, because they've got a top 15 defense as far as team performance goes, uh, all those numbers that I mentioned where they were, you know, top two, top three, top five on the offensive side of the ball, you know, they're not quite that high defensively, but they are 21st or better. in you know, each of those five categories, they carry the heaviest weight in our team performance numbers um, that we that we often cite. So, you know, this Oregon team right now is playing like a legitimate national title contender. And, you know, I absolutely uh, was wrong when I thought that USC in the preseason, you know, might be in that spot uh, at this point of the year, that, that they were going to be in a team uh, that had what it, you know, took, assuming some defensive – uh, progress, which obviously didn't happen. Um, but this USC team right now, you know, even though they they still are in the top 10 in our power rankings, um, they're down to 30th in overall team performance. Uh, the offense, which for the first half of the year was at or near number one, um, you know, they've, they've slipped a couple of spots. They're now number three. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you do change a coordinator and, and there's, I think, some hope that that will uh you know give this this unit a little bit of a jolt um it might be a one week thing but you know we sometimes do see uh a, a bounce back performance um when there's a firing and and you know things like that it's it's i don't know that there are any hard numbers on it and i don't know that we can necessarily expect it because this usc defense has just been uh it's been bad and, and, you know, going up against that, that Oregon offense that grades out even better than the USC defense, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult, I think. So uh, USC is obviously talented enough to compete. Um, our projections somewhat similarly to the, uh, you know, Florida State Miami, uh, because USC is a team just like Miami that, what, three weeks in a row we were on as a favorite uh, and all three models to cover. Uh, so unsurprisingly, we are you know, they're almost the same projections, pretty close across the board. Uh, our team strength uh, model has it single digits. Our talent edge model has it single digits. Our prism model has it double digits, but not not 14 and a half. 
Um, so it's it's basically the same game. Miami's talented enough to keep up with Florida State. USC's talented enough to keep up with Oregon. Um, but, uh, you know, I trust Florida State and I trust Oregon a, a whole lot more. Um, so I understand why they're such big favorites. And, and it certainly wouldn't shock me uh, if Oregon, you know, goes out and, and puts up a, a statement performance at home against USC. Um, again, our projections say say otherwise, say USC is going to be able to keep it uh, within uh, you know, single digits in, in that official projection, um, a good bit lower than the uh, 73 and a half. We're at 66 and a half. Uh, but, uh, you know, this year, as in most years uh, previously, we, we uh, aren't able to, to hit those extremes uh, very well. But, um, uh, yeah, this 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 game, uh, I could go, you know, I could see this this being a USC with a shot to to maybe pull off an upset on that final drive, or I could see Oregon, you know, winning 45-20 or, or, you know, even 52-20, something like that. Um, there's there's a wide range of outcomes here, I think. Xavier, what, what do you think about USC and Oregon? Does USC have a shot here, or is this going to be an Oregon stomping? I kind of feel like USC has a shot, but but less of because of the fact that I think they can actually play with uh, not necessarily because they can't play with Oregon, but I do think that with a new with a new sheriff in town on the defensive side of the football, people will be playing for their jobs. This happens every time. There, there, see that there. I think my daughter agrees. There is an uptick in performances typically when people are being forced, especially kids at, at this level. Are being forced to perform for somebody who, I mean, didn't recruit them, right? Didn't bring them in, uh, doesn't have a bias one way or another, um, and may make decisions um, decisions based off of that. Um, these guys are playing, you know, for not not for their USC lives or anything like that, but at the end of the day, their defense hasn't been good, and, and so not having a good enough defense, you know, changes need to be made. Um, not just from a coaching staff perspective, but possibly from a personnel perspective too. Oregon just feels too balanced for them to compete in this game, uh, just simply based off of the fact that, you know, when you, when you look at this team, unlike a Washington, I feel like the one thing that kept them in the last week's game is the fact that Washington didn't understand how to slow it down. Um, and that's my biggest concern on Washington as a whole. But when the game became a shootout, you saw that USC could compete offensively. And it really did just take, the occasional stop here or there to kind of have USC in the game. Oregon feels like much more of a well-oiled machine than that, um, especially in the run game, and will have the ability to say, you know what, we're up by a score. We need to put together a six, seven-minute drive to keep Caleb Williams off the field. Let's go do that. Um, where I felt like last week, Washington, even though they ran the football well, even in their run game last week, it felt like explosives every single time. Um, Dylan, Dylan Johnson was just, I mean, put the entire country on notice for what he may be as a uh, – does anybody have – I gotta ask you guys a question. Did anybody have him in the CFF? Like, does anybody have him uh, as far as yeah. fantasy? Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, he's been so there were some people who good. had amazing weeks due to his performance. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, like I just feel Oregon will stay balanced the entirety of the game and will drag out those six, seven minute possessions while Caleb Williams kind of just sits on the sideline and watches Bo Nix go to work. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, but yeah, like I I think Oregon also is playing similarly to how they did last year where they're just possibly playing as one of the four or five best teams in the country right now. And it's not really close. Um, and even though they have a loss on their record, similarly to last year, 
that doesn't really highlight how good this team is and it gets lost very good one loss team yeah i mean they might be at the moment they're playing as the best one loss team in the country i know i know alabama fans might disagree with me but this is an oregon team that's just not letting anybody i don't don't think they have an argument if they they don't yeah (laughs) i think oregon i think oregon's going yeah it might be the best team in the country i mean there's a possibility in some ways yeah it's just you watch them play, and it's just like, dude, how did y'all lose to Washington? You just remember the, I, I think personally, some of the the mental errors going off for the goal, not getting the points there. Um, well, they they gave Washington a short field, what twice in the fourth quarter because they yeah. were yep. they went on fourth and one, couldn't convert, or fourth and short, whatever it was officially. That's why people hate landing. So Oregon fans, anyway, uh, those little mistakes. So. I mean, can you really blame them when when you really look at the last two seasons being separated by very, very little? I mean, they could have been in the last – I'm not saying they're, they're not in this year's college football playoffs, but the road is just a little bit harder. Uh, they very well, as well, from looking at their performances, possibly should have been in last year's college football playoff without uh, maybe the, the, the nerve-wracking loss as well. So I can't necessarily blame them for, you know, looking at it like, like the Chargers do Brandon Staley, uh, being like, bro, if you just don't go for it on fourth down, we're probably a no. And probably don't have this problem. So, but give me Oregon here. Um, I can't stand to see Caleb Williams cry again, but you know, hey, here it breaks. Um, He's a kid. Yeah, I get it. Uh, Twitter was killing them, and that was that was that was disgusting in its own. Oh way. wow, Twitter had a a controversial take on something. No way, not Twitter. Yeah, well, you know, any any chance to crap on the eventual number one overall pick, you know, get your shots now because uh, the kid's gonna be. A pro in little in less than six months. So, yeah. But give me Oregon to win this one. Um, if you're Caleb Williams, do you decide not to play the rest of the year? That's a question for both of you guys. If no. you do lose on Saturday, I keep. Uh, you keep yeah. I mean, we've, they've been saying that you know each of the last couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I. Go, go there. Ahead. So well, I was gonna say I've, I've you know seen some some whispers and seen some other people talk about whispers that they've heard and you know and, and yeah. that oh maybe maybe Williams will come down with a quote unquote injury you know at some point that that makes it so he's not going to be able to to play that would be you know I'd be disappointed absolutely uh, and it, he doesn't strike me as as the type to uh you know to quit at this point I think he'll he'll play out the the rest of the, at least the regular season bowl game yeah sure but uh, you know, I thought he probably wouldn't play in the in last year's bowl game, and he did. Didn't Same. certainly didn't have to. So, yeah, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if. I mean, uh, there's a, there's been every rumor about Caleb Williams. There's been rumors that he doesn't want to go to whoever has the number one overall pick, so he'll stay at USC. There are rumors that. He narrowed his choice down to five teams, which is not how it works. And then right. <laughs> uh, also there was a rumor about how he's going to need a percentage of the franchise. I think also it's more it likely that Drake may gets picked first before Caleb Williams gets a part uh, minor, uh, you know, minority ownership in a franchise for signing there. That's soccer stuff. They don't do that here. So um, yeah, I mean, I th- I kind of think also some from r- some of the rumblings that I've heard, He's in a group with Drake May. It's not him with a bullet and then yeah. Drake May and then everybody else. It is way closer than it was going into the season. So yeah. I think he might need to play 
in the bowl game uh, to just absolutely solidify. He's still probably going to be number one overall, even if he quit playing right now. But there's always a possibility that Drake may lights the world on fire the last month and teams take him over Caleb Williams, who cried and then quit. So, like, I just I don't see him doing that. I think he likes playing the position too well to. And like like Nick said, he played in that bowl game last year, which he had no reason to play in. So I I have no doubt that he will keep playing. I have I do not see a way where he stops playing. I I would be very very surprised. So uh, anything else on this one? Go to the next one. Uh, all right, we'll go to the next one here. Uh, Tennessee <laughs> on the road against Missouri. Tennessee is a one and a half point road favorite. 58 and a half is the total here. I know that I think Brady cook was a little banged up and burden got a little nicked up, but I think they're both going to play. Um, you know, I talked to Thor and Mike about this show, this, this uh, um, game earlier, and they seem to think that Missouri matches up well with Tennessee here. Nick, what, what do you think? Uh, well, we've got Missouri as a slight favorite in the uh, team strength model. So um, Missouri matches up pretty well. You know, we talked about uh, Mizzou in, in depth last week uh, against Georgia, and, and it was kind of a, a similar you know, thought process in, in some ways, uh, at least the numbers looked very similar to, to the first couple of games that we talked about tonight where, you know, a little over two touchdowns is, is the spread. Our projections can't quite get there. Um, and it was, uh, you know, the way things played out, we saw why that it was a Missouri team that um, has some talent and, you know, Luther Burden specifically is one of the most talented players in college football. Um, the last thing I saw was he's listed as questionable. It sounds like he is, you know, maybe a little more questionable uh, than than uh, Cook or really anybody else of note. Although uh, I did see that Chad Bailey, a, a linebacker who's been in and out of the lineup this year, but a, a starter in the past, uh, is going to be out for the rest of the year for Mizzou. But um, there seems to be maybe a little bit of a question still with, with Burden, but I would expect that, that he'll be able to play. Um, and, you know, that this is a team that has played really well. They've played like a top 20 team. They're 18th in overall team performance. They're 19th on offense, 34th on defense. Um, like I said last week, you know, they've, they've really uh, developed this roster pretty well. Um, even though a lot of the raw uh, recruiting rating numbers are, are you know, uh, some are in the 20s, but there are some 30s and some 40s at, at certain positions. Uh, but they've developed guys. They've been productive. Um, and right now they sit in, you know, 21st in overall roster strength, 21st on offense, 21st on defense. So, you know, this is a very solid Missouri team looking you know, on paper in our team profiles, there's no real just major weak spot. You know, maybe uh, you you would like them to be able to run the ball a little bit better. They're 48th in rushing team performance on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe you'd like them to be able to, uh, you know, stop the pass a little more consistently. They're 39th in, in pass defense uh, team performance. But they're a solid team. You know, you, you can't just lean on one thing and 
just just muscle uh, Missouri around because if, if you could, Georgia probably would have done it uh, in the first three quarters last week. And, you know, Tennessee is a team that um, is built similarly. I mean, the roster strength numbers are quite similar. Tennessee's actually a few spots behind Missouri in each category. They're 23rd in overall roster strength, 27th on offense, 27th on defense. Uh, Tennessee has played more like a top 10 team. They are ninth in overall team performance. Uh, the defense, surprising to me, as we've discussed in some you know previous week's previews where we've uh, gone over Tennessee, uh, that defense has consistently been very good and, and been a real bright spot. They are 12th in defensive team performance overall, uh, top 25 against the pass, top 15 against the run. Uh, and, you know, the offensive team performance numbers, I expected this to be one of the best passing offenses in the country. I was so excited about guys like Joe Milton and, uh, you know, Squirrel Wide and and uh, Dante Thornton. And it just had, well, that was a weird, weird, weird sound. It just hasn't <laughs> come together. Uh, but they're still 31st in offensive uh, passing team performance. They, they can throw it when they need to, but they've really leaned on the running game. Jalen White, you know, Jalen Wright, a uh, big game last week. We've seen Dylan Sampson, you know, step up and, and do some really great things um, in the in the rushing attack as well. And, and you know, this is similar to Missouri, a very well-built Tennessee team. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think the feeling around both of these teams, Missouri has exceeded expectations. I personally, in our projections, did not expect Missouri to be this good. We thought there was a path to them having a very – uh, successful season, but you know, I, I didn't expect that they would be uh, in this spot. Quite honestly, Tennessee, yeah, they're about what we expected, and and in some ways, in part, like I mentioned with the, the passing offense, uh, there there are some aspects where Tennessee's a little bit disappointing. So I think that that maybe is coloring my uh, perspective personally coming into this game. And, and so I'm buying into a little bit more our numbers, having uh, Missouri favored uh, to win this one outright. But uh, this, is, I think, is a very, very evenly matched contest uh, with it being in Columbia. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't hate that we're on Mizzou to, to cover. Uh, I, I don't expect Tennessee is looking ahead in, you know, I don't think this is a, a letdown spot because they're looking ahead to Georgia next week. Um, but that is, I guess, a, a factor potentially. Um, this, I think, just is a, a really, really uh, evenly matched matchup. Um, two well-built teams with really no major weakness at any particular uh, you know, position or, or unit um, or the way that they operate offensively or, or defend. Um, this, I think, just should be a really, really good game. And, and you know, we have Mizzou winning, uh, but this is one that absolutely could be decided one way or the other uh, by a last-second field goal. Xavier, do you have a, do you see this game as kind of even like Nick does, or do you have a, a pull one way or the other? I feel like Missouri at this point, I feel more confident saying that they'll come in and win this game. Uh, I trust their quarterback play more. Um, and that's what really what it comes down to. At, at, at this point, I, I think Brady Cook has shown me, and even in the Georgia game last week, I think showed me a lot that this is a guy who has progressed in the program 
and really is hitting his stride. Now, obviously, that's not going to lead to a, a conference championship or anything of that nature, but this is the best Missouri team in a while. I mean, a large part of it has to do with the fact that Brady Cook is out here balling. Um, you know, I, I think last week he showed a lot of people, you know, and I mean, Georgia fans already know what, what the Georgia Achilles heel is under Kirby Smart, typically mobile quarterbacks. Um, and Brady Cook, who I didn't expect to be overly mobile last week, showed off the wheels. Um, and not just sneaky athletic either. Um, you know, was able to move around, able to, you know, uh, you know, affect the game from within the pocket and without it or outside of it as well. Um, and I really think that's the part of his game that, I don't know if Tennessee's 100% prepared for um, is, is his ability to extend plays um, and then be a genuine runner. This isn't a guy who's looking to pick up five yards and get down. If you give him 18, he'll take all 18. Um, and so I think it's important that Tennessee comes in understanding that their defense may have to cover longer than what they're typical, uh, typically used to. Um, the other piece to that is, you know, stopping this receiving core. And, and what Brady Cook has done a lot of with this receiving core is he understands he has a really good receiving core. I think, it, it, you know, it was something to be said last week that I, I felt like at times Brady Cook was just like, my guys are going to win. And so, yeah, I'm going to throw this back shoulder fade on a second and five when I don't really have to 30 yards downfield because my guys are going to win. And, and I think that that's an impressive aspect about Missouri that they feel comfortable doing. The other piece is, is Missouri is an extreme is, – is a pressure team. They're going to force Joe Milton to make plays with his feet. Um, and I'm not sure that he can do that consistently. I don't know if he's had to do it all that much consistently this year. Uh, but, you know, they, they forced Carson Beck, of all people, to be mobile last week um, and use his legs in and out of the pocket um, because they send five on a consistent basis. They want to send DBs. They want to send an extra linebacker. And then they're going to play man and behind. So it's going to be on Joe to make the right decisions. There's going to be open players. He just has to be able to – uh, find that read early on in the progression and find and, and, and hit them um, when need be on the offensive line side. They've got to be able to protect because, like I said, Missouri is going to bring the heat. Um, I, can Tennessee run the football? That's what it's going to come down to if, for, if I'm a Tennessee fan. And this is something that's been kind of the, their theme all year. If they can run the football effectively, giving Joe Milton, um, you know, more, enough play action opportunities to keep him clean, they're going to be in this game for all four quarters. If they can't, and that run game ends up being stifled early, um, and this turns into a, a, a throwing competition, they give me Missouri by a lot. Because um, I do believe that they have the better wide receiver room. I do believe that they have the better quarterback play right now. I think, uh, like I said, I think Brady Cook is playing as a better cue right now. Uh, and he's playing more confidently. I don't think the Georgia game is going to shake him. If anything, it's going to make them more confident. They went into Athens and only lost by nine. Um, you know, and, and I think this is a game that – as Nick has mentioned, you know, is very evenly matched. Hell, the series since two since 2012 is six and five in favor of Tennessee. This 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 has not been a one-sided series whatsoever for the last decade. Um, and I think Missouri, you know, talking about even decides to even up the all-time series or the you know even it up since 2012 and make it six and six. So I I, I really think that Missouri should win this game. I I they're being them being at home helps a lot. Um, if it was in Knoxville, I may be leaning a little bit more so towards Tennessee's way as it is one of the better home field advantages in college football. Uh, but with it being in Columbia and with those fans, I think, being excited by the way that their team played last week. Yeah, it wasn't a loss, but it wasn't one of those. It wasn't embarrassing. It wasn't one of those losses where they were like out completely outmatched. I believe that they felt that, you know, they gave, you know, 100 percent to try to win that ball game, and they're going to be rowdy and, and ready to beat another SEC East foe and, you know, 
in some respects, just as equal of a name as far as Tennessee is concerned. Uh, so give me the Tigers to win this one. Um, I like Brady Cook. I think Luther Burden is a stud and should be 100%. Give me Missouri. Uh, yeah, I mean, this uh, this game is going to be a fun one for sure. I don't know who is going to come out. And this is going to be a theme because this next game, I don't want to touch Utah on the road against Washington, another good Pac-12 matchup. Uh, Washington is a home nine-and-a-half point favorite, 54-and-a-half is the total. I think in most Washington games, I want to take the over. And in most Utah games, I want to take the under. So I have no idea which way to go. I don't. I think if I had to pick, I think Washington smacks Utah because they're in Washington. That offense is almost unstoppable. And we have seen Utah get beat by a good offense this year. So that's probably where I would go. But I don't know. Utah, Utah can play down or excuse me. Washington can play down a little bit as well. So I'm not sure which way to lean. Nick, help me out. Where are you going in this Utah and Washington game? Yeah, you said if, if you had to pick, well, we do have to pick, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, sometimes. And, and uh, we are on the under, not by very much, at least officially. I'm not sure if it's moved off the, the 54 and a half. We're at closer to 53 and a half, uh, which I think. I think I would lean over personally, but um, don't see a huge edge there projection wise. But I, I think I agree with your sounded like your initial uh, you know, gut reaction was Washington takes care of business. And, and yeah, I think if I, agree. I have to pick one. I think they're the better team. Yeah. And that, that's what two of our three projection models think. It's, it's this is very, very close to being one of those where all three uh you know, models line up on the favorite to cover. We're in our team strength projection, uh, pretty close to two full touchdowns. Uh, in the talent edge, it's about uh, you know, a little less than 13 points. Um, and then that stats only model, the, the projected scoring margin, um, we're at 9.1. So just shy of the, the nine and a half. But, you know, this, this Washington team, um, despite, you know, uh, not necessarily grading out as well as Oregon. And of course, yes, Washington did beat Oregon, uh, but they are eighth in our power rankings. They rank 19th in team performance overall. So, uh, I mean, we're not even talking, you know, uh, the uh, a top tier team in Oregon and the next tier, Washington. I mean, they're, they're a couple of tiers below uh, as far as their on-field performance and a lot of that has to do with uh their defense and this washington defense um has really really struggled to stop the run they're 112th in rushing team performance uh you know past defense is is much better and would expect that you know for utah um especially with them dealing with you know multiple backup quarterbacks all year um they would prefer to, I think, control this game uh, with the run. Uh, you know, Utah doesn't grade out particularly well in team performance running the football. They're 85th on on the, in our numbers, uh, but they're 90th passing. So um, Jaquindon Jackson, the, the running back, has been banged up in and out of the lineup. Sounds like he's uh, still potentially going to be dealing with something this week not not quite going to be 100%. We have seen Utah get a little bit of a lift and some playmaking ability from Sione Baki, the starting safety uh or or you know 
contributing uh, defender who's gotten uh, some snaps on on offense and made some big plays in a, a limited uh, number of snaps. Um, but as we've talked about seemingly every week or every other week, this Utah team is just not anywhere close to 100%. I mean, they've been dealing, especially on the offensive side of the ball, but really both uh, offense and defense, every position group is missing key players. So um, it didn't matter last week. They just absolutely dominated Arizona State, one of the most dominant performances we've probably seen from a a team uh, this year. And they're going up against a Washington team that really struggled to put Arizona State away. Um, but I just, I don't think this is a great matchup for Utah, uh, you know, having to go to Seattle, um, this Utah team is, is not as good on the road. Um, and Washington, even though they have looked very vulnerable, have looked beatable at times. And I, you know, it would have shocked me if Utah finds a way to win. Absolutely not. Um, I don't think it, it will ever shock me uh, moving forward if, if Utah uh, finds a way to win, you know, pull an outright upset. But um, this Washington team is just, uh, you know, they're, they've had their own injury issues. Jalen McMillan being the most notable um, are dealing with a couple of injuries on the offensive line uh, as well. They've had some guys banged up on defense, but, you know, this Washington team, even if it's not 100%, is a lot closer to 100% than Utah is. And, and I think that, um, they're, you know, this, this Utah, uh, defense is, is just going to have its, uh, hands full with Michael Penix, Roma Dunza, Jalen Polk, Dylan Johnson. I mean, they, they've got so many playmakers and, and they're really operating well. Um, and I'm just not sure that, that Utah's got what it takes to, uh, take advantage of, a you know, Washington defense that that's vulnerable. I, I'm just not sure that, that, we're not going to see 55 again this week, pretty sure. So um <laughs> I, I think that I think that Washington is is going to win this one by double digits. I, I do like our team strength projection here. This does feel like one where uh Washington, you know, should should be able to uh pull away a little bit from this Utah team. Do you have a better feel uh for, for this game here, uh Xavier? Or are you thinking that? Washington just powers over Utah. Do you have a better feel for Utah's defense on the road, maybe, or maybe even their offense? Yeah, I think this is a Washington drubbing. Uh, I just don't know how how Utah is going to be able to to keep up with this Washington offense. I understand that Utah's defense has been vaunted at times this year and has been able to keep them in games and hell even win them a game um, like they were able to do against UCLA. But when you really look at, you know, I, I think that the the problem with Utah is, is I'm not sure, just like against Oregon earlier this year, that they have the ability to consistently hang um, hang with Washington on the offensive side. And I think that has as much to do with the defense as the actual defense itself because at the end of the day, they can only be so good when it comes to, you know, fatigue. And I think in that Oregon game, as good as Utah may have been in the beginning of that ball game, you could tell at some point Oregon was just better. Um, and they got the big plays. They got the big hits. They got, the, and more importantly, Oregon got turnovers themselves from a Utah offense. That if you force them to throw the football, now they're really in trouble. You know, and, and Washington's defense isn't great. Um, I don't think they, they've had a great game possibly since maybe the Oregon contest, the one or well Arizona State. But 
the one thing that they do do is they're very opportunistic. And I think they will look to give themselves short fields to really get on that Utah defense early, force that Utah defense to be perfect for them to lose, for them to lose this game. And we guess just, we just, we just understand that that's not possible. The other piece too, is the, the way that Michael Penix is playing right now feels very, very, it's extremely dangerous for a defense like Utah. Utah is a extremely pressure heavy defense. They want to play man on the back end. They want to send more than four. They can win with four. Don't get me wrong, but they want to send more than four. They want to make your quarterbacks uncomfortable. They want to force force turnovers. The problem is that's not Michael Penix right now. Like Penix is anything but a turnover machine at this point in the year. On top of that, you could tell he's extremely confident with his cast of characters. Um, even without Jalen McMillan, he still has probably the best receiver on that roster, uh, still kicking around in Roma Dunes. Obviously, we talked about Dylan Johnson earlier in the episode hitting his footing, and if he can do that consistently again, then once again, I don't see how Utah can stop a balanced Washington attack. They had ex- they had a trouble you know, stopping a balanced Oregon attack. Uh, Buggy Irvin got pretty much what he wanted in that matchup as well, running for, you know, and only on 14 carries, ran for 83 yards. Uh, Bo Nix was extremely efficient in that matchup, only throwing it 31 times, 248 and two tubs. Like, this is a team in Utah that has to be perfect defensively for them to win games, and I'm just not sure if they can do that against a, a high-powered Washington offense um, like theirs. All right, let's go over to the SEC. Ole Miss on the road against Georgia. Georgia is a 10.5-point home favorite. 58.5 is the total here. This one I feel a little better about than the Washington-Utah game, Nick, but it kind of has a little bit of the same feel where I do think there's a possibility for Ole Miss to win this game. I don't think Georgia is as unbeatable as they have been the last few years. But I just don't see it happening. I don't see Ole Miss creeping up on Georgia here. I think Georgia wins going away still, even without Brock Bowers, their best weapon. I think this is a game that they can win and win going away. How do you see this one playing? Well, uh, I'm I'm running out of time for my uh, prediction uh, a few weeks ago that, that I was pretty sure Georgia is going to come up short at some point in <laughs> the month of November and they took care of business against Florida. They survived against uh, Mizzou. And I mean, all this is, is a, a tough matchup, but the closer we get to it. Yeah. The, the more likely it seems um, that Georgia's just going to be able to uh, going to be able to take care of business, you know, and, and win out. Um uh, but this is a this is an Ole Miss team that our numbers have been very very high on all season. They have been hovering around the top ten all year, and and I know that they you know are firmly within uh, the top ten in in the polls as an eight and one team. Um, but that's that's pretty tough to to do in our power rate. I mean, the you know, uh, traditionally, this Ole Miss team has has been even under Lane Kiffin when they've been a, a you know a team that's collected a lot of talent um, and have played well at times. This consistently has seemed more like a top twenty team, not a top ten team, if that makes sense. Um, that you know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not really explaining it very well, but it, but it seems like 
if if Ole Miss were to to find a way to win this game, they are probably uh, making it to the playoff, right? I mean, they they wouldn't go to the SEC championship game assuming Alabama uh, wins out, but they're going to be huge favorites against ULM. Uh, they're going to be double-digit favorites on the road against Mississippi State. They win both of those games, and and they're eleven and one. You know, there's there's not too many teams who uh, are are going to be taken ahead of uh, this team by the committee, in in my opinion. So, um, this is something I'm I'm personally not used to. I'm used to seeing an Ole Miss team be, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're a quality team. They're a tough team to beat. They've got some talent. Um, but I'm not used to thinking of them as a legitimate college football playoff caliber team. Um, but if they were to win this game, that's, that's, you know, basically what they would, uh, be, but of course, you know, they're having to go on the road, uh, go into Athens at night, big game, top 10 matchup. Um, it's going to be a really, really, really tough place for uh, Ole Miss to win. So um, my my hopes, uh, you know, as somebody who uh, expected uh, Georgia to, to falter at some point, um, my hopes are not particularly high that, that this is the moment. Uh, but, uh, you know, touching on, on one thing that you mentioned, it, it sounds like Brock Bowers has maybe a chance to play this week uh is practicing is is uh getting close um you know maybe they are cautious and and uh don't rush him back but it sounds like there's some positive uh momentum and and this would be i mean this is senior day i know he's not a senior but this is probably his his last chance to play uh between the hedges so you know maybe maybe we do see uh, Brock Bowers at, at least a little bit this week. So that could give him a little bit of boost. The, the offensive line is getting healthier. Um, I'm not sure we've seen Amarius Mims uh, yet, but uh, he's been, I know, dressing out and, and getting closer to, to uh, getting back there. So um, this Georgia team is getting healthier. We've seen uh, Lad McConkey back. He looks like uh, you know the, the go-to wideout that we expected at the beginning of the year. Um, but when he was limited by injury, uh, so this team is, is starting to ramp up, it seems. And, and, you know, they're, they're trending more toward becoming that dominant Georgia team that we've seen the last couple of years and less from the, uh, beatable Georgia team that, that I thought we might see, um, the last couple of weeks and, and, you know, heading into the, the final stretch here. So, um, this is pretty similar projections wise to, uh, what we said in the Georgia Mizzou game last year or, or last week, pretty similar to what we said. And, and, you know, the other, uh, double digit, uh, point spreads that, that we've talked about so far today, um, with the exception that, you know, our numbers couldn't quite get there in team strength and, and actually somewhat surprisingly have Ole Miss with the talent edge. Um, the the stats only model does give Georgia just the, the tiniest of margins to cover that 10 and a half. So um, this isn't even a, you know, all three agree on on the underdog. There is uh, the, the stats only model is, is really giving Georgia some respect here. Um, but, you know, this is a game I, I absolutely could see uh decided by 
one score decided by, you know, a late touchdown or, or uh, even a field goal there at the end. And, and as I've said before, and it's obviously been wrong to this point, you know, this is, is a losable game for Georgia, but my confidence in that uh, statement, thinking that, that they're going to, you know, find a way to lose uh, one of these last few games. It's not, not looking likely. This, this team seems to be um, getting stronger, playing better, uh, especially a couple of weeks ago against Florida, I was most impressed. Um, but getting healthier, I think, is the big thing. And and so I do expect Georgia to, to win this game. This game they, they should win. Um, but, you know, that Ole Miss team is, is there right on the fringe of uh, really making a statement, really potentially playing themselves into that college football playoff conversation. If they find a way to win this game, then, then you know, they'll – very much be in the mix. So uh, not a not a foregone conclusion, even though things really are trending to to be this one. Georgia should should take care of business. Yes, yeah, Javier, I mean, um, you know, like Nick mentioned, I didn't think of it, but there is a little extra incentive for Ole Miss here because they are a legit contender. And like I said, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world to see Ole Miss win this game. They're a very good team and Georgia is more beatable than they have been in recent years. But just because they're more beatable doesn't mean they're likely to lose. It just means it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world if they did. So I I'm on the Georgia uh, train here. How do how do you see this one playing out? Do you think Ole Miss gives Georgia a scare or do you think this is a, uh, you know, Georgia looks like Georgia and reestablishes themselves against a rival? Yeah, somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago before the Florida game, out of these next four matchups, which ones were I, was I, including Florida, which one was I fearful of the most? And I said Missouri. Um, and I said Missouri pretty confidently because I felt Missouri had what, for me, was the scarier offense to face. And I'm not sure, just like I was last year, I'm not entirely sure that our offense can win a genuine shootout. Um, because our offense and Kirby Smart has alluded to this before, because at the end of the day, he is so defense oriented. He doesn't really prepare for shootouts because he doesn't expect his defense to allow those kind of points anyways. Um, but something, you know, and obviously this has dawned on me coming into this week as well. This game being at home for Carson Beck is so massive. And the same thing goes for the Missouri game, having the home crowd, having, you know, that ability to kind of go through your everyday processes you know, um, sleep in your own bed, you know, the old, you know, the old coin terms does mean a lot for a kid who these are the biggest matchups of the year for him so far, right? Three ranked games in a row, two of three will be, you know, um, at home. And I think that does, does a ton for his confidence. The one thing I've seen with Carson Beck over the last couple of weeks, and this is something we talked about earlier in the year is he's hitting the explosives. He's making sure that even though he's, he's not hitting everything and he's missing certain things, he's hitting the explosives. Um, and that's a major aspect of this offense that needs to continue to happen if you're going to see Georgia win a national championship this year. Because at the end of the day, this team is not necessarily built, as in previous years, to run the football 35 times um, and just absolutely whoop you up front consistently, one, due to health, and two, due to running back depth. Um, and you really don't have that monster in the backfield. There is no Chubb. There is no Gurley. Uh, there is no DeAndre Swift. You know, you're, you're doing it more so block by a platoon with Dejan Edwards, with David Bell, with Kendall Milton at times. But there's no bell cow that we can see going for 25 carries, 145 yards and two touchdowns. Right. Um, but that's where, once again, 
this Georgia team, for me, has proven a lot over the last couple of weeks. It continues to do so. Nick alluded to it earlier. The Florida, the way that they handled the Florida game and the way that they dominated that game, especially with getting pressure with four, lends me to believe that this is a game against Ole Miss that they should win. I won't say handedly, but confidently. Uh-oh. Um. You know, I, I genuinely believe so because this is a Georgia team that has shown the ability to get pressure with four. And the one thing Jackson Dart does really well is his escapability, his ability to, you know, prolong plays. And and like I said with Brady Cook just a second ago, this is not a guy who is going to slide when he's running. He does not want to. He wants to be a runner. Um, he wants to be able to get out of the pocket and help his offense by making explosives with his feet. And that in and itself you know, being able to play that back-to-back weeks should help the Georgia defense. I think one of the things that they did poorly with last week was containing on the edge. Um, and I'm sure Kirby got into Michael Williams and company about making sure that they stay home and keep Jackson Dart within the pocket and allow yourselves to get sacks from within. Um, the other part about this game for uh, on the Ole Miss side that I'm not entirely confident with them about is that defense, I feel like they miss a lot of tackles. They just, they're not a great pursuit team. They, they allow a lot of explosives due to pre-snap, you know, uh, miscommunications. They're a young defense. The best player on their defense, admittedly, by Lane Kiffin, is a freshman linebacker. Um, as he puts it, he's the only guy that they've ever been able to get when battling uh, when battling Alabama in the recruiting trail for. That's how talented the kid is. Um, but he's a freshman, so he makes freshman mistakes. Um, they're also a zone-based defense, which should allow Carson Beck to have time to make the proper decisions in the pocket. Um, so I look forward to seeing this offense really continue to flourish. But on the Ole Miss side, the, the one thing that you really look at as a, as a positive is they have probably the scariest running team in the SEC. I know Alabama fans might disagree with me, but Quinshawn Judkins, like I said with Jackson Dart earlier, they can go. Um, and, and the one thing that I will say, you know, does worry me as a Georgia fan is the fact that we don't we, – one of our linebackers will be out for this contest with a broken arm. Um, and, and that you're going to be putting a freshman linebacker in the field of gaps in a, in a run scheme that singles out players all game long with motion, with, you know, uh, differing zone run schemes and making sure that they're always putting him in the wrong place. So for a freshman, this ain't the game that you really want to because Lane Kiffin's going to try to eat in his direction more times than not, right? Uh, but at the same time, I do believe that Ole Miss, if they're going to win this ball game, needs Jackson Dart to hit his explosives when he's passing the football. I've said a lot of times over the last two years that I'm waiting for Jackson Dart to turn that corner as the five-star that originally committed to USC. I feel like too much of the time I find him as a game manager and I need him to do similarly to what he was able to do last week against AM, hit those big plays and win them a ball game, even when you know their defense isn't stepping up maybe against a lesser opponent or against an equal opponent. So it's going to be on Jackson Dart to be that guy this week for them if they're going to win. I just don't see it against a Georgia team that I think is turning somewhat of a corner as a whole. And as Nick alluded to, I think it's getting healthier and will be at 100% when it matters down the stretch. But right now, I think you're looking at a Georgia team that's getting a lot more confidence in and around it uh, from what is a, is, a, is a young Georgia team. Yeah, and and glad you mentioned it. Oversight on my part that though they are getting healthier, especially on the offensive side of the ball, they will miss uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson with that that broken arm. So uh, glad you brought that up. Lots of injuries. They're piling up. It is getting uh, to that point in the season. The last game we're going to dive into is probably the biggest game of the week. Michigan on the road against Penn State. Michigan is a five and a half point road favorite. Forty four and a half is the total in this game. Uh, Obviously, 
lots of rumors swirling about Michigan right now. And, you know, they're not in the best. They're, they're not in the spot that they would love to be in right now, I would say. But they're still a very, very solid team, uh, a national title contender, maybe the best team in the country, despite some of this stuff that's being said about them. Can they put away the distraction and just beat down on Penn State? Because Penn State had an opportunity against Ohio State, and they looked flat and bad. Uh, so are we going to get more of the same, even though they're at home against Michigan, Nick? Or uh, can they make this a scary game, at least for the Wolverines? Uh, well, it, it I a couple of things that you said. You know, it, Could this Michigan team be the best team in the country? Our, our ratings think that it is um you know we've talked plenty about how ohio state was our number one team in the preseason they were our number one team for the first what, seven or eight weeks of the regular season but uh not long ago michigan passed them and uh this michigan team has been maybe the most dominant team i mean just looking post-game win expectancy numbers um Last week against Purdue, and and in season we use college football data's post game win expectancy uh, advanced box score numbers. And last week was the first uh, Michigan win that wasn't a one hundred percent post game win expectancy in those numbers, and it was ninety nine percent against Purdue. So you know nobody else in the country has has uh, just been that dominant against his opponents. Now, you know, Michigan hasn't really been tested. Uh, I mean, the the best team Michigan has played so far this year is Minnesota, maybe? Uh, Rutgers? <laughs> I mean, I think UNLV has the best record of a team that Michigan's played this year. So, I mean, it's it's interesting to, to think that this team has been, on the one hand, very, very dominant. The, the numbers are our projections, you know, the, the category by category, they grade out really, really well. I mean, defense, best in the country, basically across the board. Offense, very, very solid. I mean, top 10 in uh, just about, uh, well, top 10 in every major category, top five in, in uh, most. So uh, this is a, a Michigan team that, um, you know, has, I think, still more out there you know i i we've seen and we've heard jj mccarthy uh in some heisman conversations we've seen him play really well have we seen the best game he's capable of no probably not you know blake quorum has got <laughs> however many touchdowns uh seems like he scores twice a game at least i but know has he um played you know quite to the level of what we got used to last year no uh, you know donovan edwards hasn't Hasn't been very productive. Uh, Roman Wilson's having a huge year, but, you know, other than that, we haven't seen uh, very much in, in the grand scheme of things from uh, a really, really talented group of Michigan wide receivers. So I think that Michigan still has, you know, the ability to, you know, its best football is ahead of it still. Um, but, you know, yeah, there, there are some distractions. There are some things that uh, you certainly – would rather not have to spend time and energy on non-football things when you're going into what's, you know, the biggest game of the, the year to date, um, your toughest uh, road trip of the season, and uh, going up against a really, really good 
Penn State team. And and I agree with with what you said that uh, they did not look great against Ohio State. Uh, had a three percent post game win expectancy. And and kind of contrasting this Penn State team, and you know, there's only one. Uh, uh, one thing that's different record wise, it's the loss to Ohio state, uh, which, you know, one of the, the top two teams in the country uh, in our power rankings, I think they're number one in the playoff ranking. I didn't even watch the playoff ranking. So uh, hopefully that's right. Um, but, uh, you know, if you look at the post game, um, they have been, you know, fallen pretty well short of Michigan's track record. They're not just a, a list of, of uh, eight hundred percent and one ninety nine. I mean, they had a thirty percent post game win expectancy against Indiana, one of the worst teams at the Power Five level. Three um, percent against Ohio State. That one really wasn't close. Sixty eight percent against Illinois. You know, kind of struggled a little bit there. Drew Alars had what a twenty to one touchdown interception ratio, but averages six and a half yards per uh pass attempt yeah they I are mean, not letting him throw the ball down <laughs> i mean penn state is is uh, 101st in that category as a team they're Ugh. 94th in yards per play both of those against fbs opponents only um and that includes the 59 to nothing uh win over umass you know as an FBS i just don't summer. like that that's that's a <laughs> please just please don't mess it up for us like that is what you're saying to your quarterback i don't think he gives him very much confidence either you know, when you're sure. like, okay, just don't throw the ball downfield and we'll be fine. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you want to say to your starting quarterback. So, right. They're 82nd in passing team performance on the offensive side of the ball. We really thought this could be one of the best, certainly one of the most talented running back groups in the country uh, with Nicholas Singleton and, and Katron Allen. They're 44th in offensive rushing team performance. So, this Penn State offense has been lackluster i mean they're 50th overall in team performance the defense very 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 good number three in overall defensive team performance top 10 against the pass top five against the run uh sounds like questionable right so he's been out the last couple of weeks sounds like he's trending in the right direction hopefully we will get to see chop robinson you know get to see uh abdul carter let him loose uh kalen king you know the the penn state defense has some real talented players and hopefully is going to be close to hundred percent. Um, that should definitely be, you know, a, a good matchup, but, um, getting down to how do the numbers, you know, project these, um, we are on the over, uh, 44 and a half, even though these are two of the best defenses in the country. I, I kind of like that actually. Um, and I also like that even though all three of our projection models, are within two points of the the Michigan five and a half. All have Michigan favored, all in that five and a half range. I'm I'm kind of glad we're actually on the uh, Michigan to cover that five and a half officially in the team strength model. We have it closer to six. I, I do think that this Michigan team, though Penn State absolutely will be the most talented team it's played to date. It'll be the toughest environment Michigan has faced to date. There's plenty of non-football things that Michigan is having to spend time and energy on, which, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily like uh, going into this matchup. But I just think I just think Michigan's the better team. I think they're the more complete team. Uh, I think they're much better on offense, uh, have a higher ceiling. And, you know, even though Penn State's great defensively, uh, 
Michigan is is the best defense in the country, the, the way we calculate it. So um, this this does seem like, even though it's a very, very tough spot for Michigan, um, this seems like, to me, a game where, you know, Michigan, Michigan should win this game by a touchdown. Will it shock me if Penn State, you know, things line up and, and that huge crowd uh, helps, you know, will this this team to a victory? Uh, maybe kind of not exactly, obviously, the same uh, scenario as Oklahoma State last week. But that was one of the things we talked about, right? Like, will the, the atmosphere around the game uh, yeah. elevate Oklahoma State? A little bit different scenario, but, uh, you know, we could we could see a little bit of that in, in, in this matchup. Um, but I just think, I just think Michigan's the better team and, and I think they will win this game by, uh, you know, seven to, to 10 to maybe two touchdowns when all said and done. Yeah. Xavier. I mean, I, I am with Nick. I, I want Penn state to play better. <laughs> they didn't in their chance against Ohio state. They are limited on offense. The numbers are probably even better, even though the numbers aren't great. I think they're still better than what Penn state has actually done on the field this year. Yep. So I, I just, you know, unless Michigan is wholly and completely distracted by all of this, uh, you know, cheating nonsense, then I think they should walk in and take care of business at Penn state. How do you see this game going? So for me, it's interesting because where I agree with you hundred percent, I agree with Nick, as far as the talent is concerned, Michigan should walk into Penn state and win this game pretty handedly. My only concern is the fact that I'm not sure, and I, I did some research over the last couple of weeks about J.J. McCarthy and big games in particular, and he's been rather pedestrian. On top of that, Harbaugh has been incessant on keeping the training wheels on the kid um, in a lot of these games and really forfeiting to the run in a lot of these matchups. And I feel like if Penn State's going to win this game, they're going to have to force him to throw the football more than what they did to Kyle McCord or at the very least take advantage of a guy who hasn't shown the ability to beat you with it, beat some of the bigger teams in his time at Michigan with his arm. Um, and that's really my biggest thing when the MS game is like we talked about last time, which quarterback is going to be able to make those throws. He doesn't have to be great. Um, we're not asking for, you know, a hundred percent pass accuracy or even 80% pass accuracy, but can he hit the explosives when they're being called and, and can he force the defense to respect that? Because for both teams, if they can do that, then that opens up each other's running games. Uh, and so that's what it's going to come down to for me. Has Drew Eiler to, you know, developed enough and progressed enough since the Ohio State game for, Dr for James Franklin to take the training wheels off of him when it comes to the decisions that he makes? Um, as Nick alluded to, you could tell maybe not by his overall stats, but when you dig into the stats and realize he only throws for six and a half yards a pass, that's that's game managers type stuff for me. Like I understand he's a he's in his first year as a starter, but let the kid go. I mean, he's not a five star for no reason, you know. And I think a lot of the times with coaches, they overthink it and it's like, oh, I got to protect the kid. And it's like you're more talented than ninety percent of your schedule. Like you got to get him to an uh, to uh, and protecting him did not work against Ohio, against Ohio State, State, not even a little, not in the slightest. Oh. And I think that that had a lot to do. And we talked about it, you know the very next week had a lot to do with the reason why they lost in a game that was extremely winnable. And I hope James Franklin has learned from his mistakes in that, in that regard. And then to, 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 you know, give him another game manager type performance and hope that his defense or something like that can bring it home against a Michigan team that at the very least this year has not turned over the football. Um, so 
I expect Michigan to win this game. They are the better team. They've been playing like the better team. They've been playing like one of the two best teams in the country pretty much all year, um, even if it has been a softer schedule. And I really expect that they should go in there and win this game as the more talented outfit. The problem that I have is I don't genuinely think, you know, on the Penn State level, I don't think that they're, you know, it's not that they're not good enough, but I'm not sure Franklin is bold enough to, to take the chances with Aller in this ball game. And he's almost, it almost feels like he's waiting it out to be like, well, next year guys, like, you know, no JJ McCarthy, you know, Kyle McCoy, you know, we'll be better next season. It's like, bro, you have a genuine chance to knock off Michigan at home. Like you have a defense and a team that's comparable in a lot of ways. So go out there and actually try to win the game instead of trying just not to lose embarrassingly. Um, so that's what it comes down to for me is, you know, what quarterback can hit his explosive plays, can hit his big throws, um, and obviously not turn the football over, you know, and what, and if whatever quarterback does that, it's going to open up the run game and, he, and either team has, you know, some of the best running back rooms in the country. So we know that they're going to, both teams are going to sell out on the run. Um, but give me Michigan in this ball game. I would love to see Penn State win. I think it would make obviously the finish there very interesting because it would essentially knock one of, it would essentially come down to either knocking Ohio State or Michigan out of the playoff at that point when once they play later in the year. And I'm pretty sure that it would, it, would it clinch for Ohio State as far as making it to the Big Ten championship game? I know that they have more Big Ten games left, but if they were to lose to Michigan, it wouldn't have any bearing on them making the championship game, correct? I thought uh, – so I, I honestly haven't paid a ton of attention to those scenarios, but I thought I, thought I saw if it's a three-way tie – Somehow Penn State gets it. I, I don't know. I don't know the, the I don't three know way exactly tie. They that. just say, "Hey, you guys didn't do enough," so Penn State wins. Right, right. <laughs> I, yeah, I, sh- I should have. I, I could potentially research that a little bit. Uh, that's fine. Well, look, uh, if, that's, if that's the case, I like my solution better. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think Michigan has. I think Harbaugh has the cojones to call the game that needs to be called to win this game. Um, versus I think James Franklin is has been in his career at Penn State has been kind of, you know, played not to lose instead of playing to win. And that worries me against bigger teams. And I think Penn State fans, and my girlfriend is a Penn State alum, um, so she herself is not too fond of James Franklin's play calling during big games. We watched the Ohio State game together, and she was like, same old Franklin. And she started going to Penn State, I think, his second year there. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, so I'm I'm uh, we're doing this live. I'm reading from a, a all Penn State fan nation site, the SI uh, fan nation site, oh, nice. and covers Penn State. Uh, Mark uh, Wogenrich wrote on November fifth, quoting from the piece: "The Lions host Michigan next Saturday with their season subjecting." And okay, what is the Big Ten's divisional tiebreaker? If Penn State beats Michigan, Michigan beats Ohio State, and the three teams finish eleven and one, the East division tiebreaker involves the Big Ten West division. To break a three-way tie, uh, the Big Ten would compare the combined conference records of three teams' West division opponents. um, And following Saturday's round of games, Penn State leads that race. (laughs) So, has something to do with strength of schedule and the crossover games. Yeah, and, uh, well, at least it's easy to figure out. That's good. Right. So, so yeah, Penn State <laughs> plays Iowa, Northwestern, Illinois out of the West. 
uh, Ohio State, Purdue, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, Nebraska, Minnesota, Purdue. So uh, Penn State has a one-game lead in that scenario. Their opponents are 8-10. and 10. Both Michigan and Ohio State's opponents are 7-11. and 11. Can we talk so, about how bad the West is in that regard then? That's just – like uh, has it has been it's that you know the, the Jesus man astronaut like, and the you know <laughs> yo, can we put all the incoming Pac-12 teams onto the West? I know that they're not doing that, but like yeah, they need an infusion of winning over there. Like bump the infusion of talent. Like let's get a better team over there. <laughs> all I right. have some Any... thoughts on how to change uh, alignment uh, based on what we've seen in the Big Twelve this year. I wonder if that's going to carry over a little bit. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that in January. Uh, <laughs> now, are there any other games in week 11, Nick, that uh, you look at and you say, I don't understand why this team is favored or this total is too low or high or anything you have a good feel on? Um, I mean, again, we'll, we'll run down the, the ones where our projections uh, single out the favorite to cover in all three models. We're on Liberty to cover 13 and a half against Old Dominion this week, non-conference interstate matchup there. Um, we have NC State covering at Wake Forest. A little bit of uh, uh, you know news out of Raleigh that MJ Morris is going to redshirt. They're going back to Brennan Armstrong. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we do have Memphis covering on the road, 11 and a half at Charlotte. I like that. That includes... Well, so that includes both Seth Hannigan and Blake Watson playing for Memphis. Both got banged up at the end in the fourth quarter last week. Uh, Hannigan's got a shoulder. That seems maybe a little more of an issue than uh, Watson, who's been really great as a receiving running back in, in addition to uh, you know running the football this year. Um that one worries me a little bit, but we'll we'll cross our fingers and, and you know hope that that both guys are able to to play. Uh, we're on Iowa to cover the one and a half. In what about uh, the total in that game? <laughs> well, we couldn't believe it or not get down to twenty eight and a half. Couldn't oh, couldn't quite is that get the under there. Under Did we have a, a lower? I think in uh, the modern. I think in the modern era, yeah. I mean, it's. They've all been Iowa the last couple of I thought of years. we said it last year at like 32 or something. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I don't think it, any of them got in the 20s last year, but this, right. this would be two weeks in a row for Iowa at the 20s. I, I don't think the last one finished in the 20s, but, um, people were betting the over, I think, uh, for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on uh, Western Kentucky, which we haven't really talked about them much this year, but I've been, Kind of disappointed in that WKU offense. Uh, they've they've taken a step back, but we have WKU covering four and a half against New Mexico State. Uh, we have FAU covering eight against East Carolina, um, and we have Oklahoma getting back on track and covering twelve and a half against West Virginia. So uh, those have been over five hundred for uh, a, a good while. Those have been the best case. Uh, group for us um they've they've been close we were one game over 500 last week but um i'll take that you know uh, again this week if we can if we can do it yeah last week was particularly bad so uh for most people so definitely take over 500 in any scenario uh there for sure xavier are there any games that you look at this week and you say uh 
I have a good feeling about this or why is this line like this or uh, any totals you like? What do you got? Well, I, w- I was going to say Tulane Tulsa after the performance that Tulane put together last week. I know. Uh, that, I picked them last week, too. So yeah, that was extremely underwhelming. <laughs> um, right. So I don't have many that come to mind right away. Uh, I think Alabama gets Kentucky. I think Alabama covers uh, that matchup. I feel like Kentucky's kind of just coasting down the back half of the year. Um, give me Vanderbilt to cover against South Carolina. I'm, I'm just not too much of a fan of South Carolina right now, and neither are South Carolinians. <laughs> um, and this is gonna, this was this was gonna hurt my soul to say this, uh, but I don't have Georgia State favored against App State. I don't know the last time Georgia State mm. has beaten App State. Um, there's a psyche thing there that I think kills them more than anything. I, I, I listened to the press conference after the JMU game. Sean Elliott is clearly pissed off, so maybe they play pissed off. But South, but App State against Georgia State in football leans one way and leans one way hard throughout the history of that of that game, and it's App State's way. So give me App State to win that one. Um, so that obviously Georgia State would not cover in that matchup in particular. Um, and uh, do I want to go out and limit this one? I like Washington State over Cal. I know I know that's so weird, but I just have a strange feeling that like Cal in, in previous weeks has empty, emptied the tank a little bit. Um, and and I, I just think that what we saw last week against against Oregon was a team that was just gassed. I mean, you had a, you were that close to beating Oregon State. You were that close, even closer to beating USC. And I just felt like last week against Oregon, they just hit a wall. Now, does that change this week coming up against a, 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 a team that's much more – that's closer to you? hit a wall three weeks ago in Washington right. State? <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but both teams are still fighting for their, you know, their postseason hopes in, uh, in particular. So – and Washington yeah. State really needs this one because realistically you beat Cal, you beat, Cal, you beat Colorado, you're probably not going to be Washington at the end of the year. So if you don't win this one, it makes it extremely hard uh, for them to make it to a bowl game. On the flip side of that, Cal's got to go undefeated down the stretch to make a bowl game. I'm just not sure that they're going to happen either. So I'm going to lean towards Washington State. Um, and the last one that I have here is I think Arizona State continues to do a madness in the Pac-12 and covers against UCLA. UCLA by 17 and a half just does not – or by 17, excuse me, just does not feel good to me. Arizona State has been a competitive outfit literally against – some of the top dogs in this conference. This Remind year. me real quick. What did ASU do last week? <laughs> look, 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 I, I hear you, but this is also a team that, you know, held Washington to 15 points. So they've been, they've been weird, but they've also been able to show up against better teams at times this year. Emphasis on at times. Um, but yeah, I think Arizona, I think Arizona state and, and UCLA, the one thing that pisses me off is they just can't take care of the football. And, and it just, ugh, it, 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 it perturbs me to watch them play uh, because they don't know how to take care of the football. And they've essentially said Dante Moore's going to sit behind Ethan Garbridge for the rest of the year. I'm just not well, sure. Both got hurt last week. So yeah. Right. So I'm just not sure what that quarterback situation even is. Cause just, I don't trust Garbers and Dante Moore has shown his youth at times this year and whom and, and Colin Schley went all five in his, you know, spot time last year, last week. So Give me Arizona State to cover that 17. Yeah, I, have I mean, two you, very. Oh, sorry. Good. Well, I was just going to say UCLA is one of those teams that it's like 
if you could just get a little bit on offense, uh, you'd be Utah also. They're kind of the same type of, of team. I think UCLA does it more with mistakes and Utah does it more with ineptitude on offense. But yeah, it's one of those things where you're so good on the defensive side of the ball, you should be winning uh, more games handedly. But it just has not come together on offense at all for UCLA. I mean, the running game is good. Carson Steele's good, but, um, and Harden, th that's a good one to punch, but they just can't put it together through the air. So, yeah. sorry. Go ahead, Nick. No, no, that's, that's great. Um, two wrong team favorites that, that are uh, more to what the original question you asked. Like, mm, I don't, I don't know about this one. Uh, <laughs> we hit one of these last week. We had Temple uh, favored against, Navy, they were nearly a touchdown underdog. Uh, we've got BYU favored at home against Iowa State. I don't feel great about that, but uh, that would be plus 220 if they're able to pull that one off. Um, and then this one, this one is weird. This one's gotten a little bit of discussion in our Campus to Canton uh, Discord and, and the CFF channel. Um, Oklahoma State is a two and a half point favorite on the road against UCF. Uh, that's just a weird spot and our projections, which admittedly basically all season have been too high on UCF. Uh, we have UCF favored by six, <laughs> which, which is strange, but I've heard and, and seen some, uh, some smart folks out there are, are on, on UCF. So that's a strange one given, you know, Oklahoma state coming off huge win, Ollie Gordon looking like a Heisman contender. Um, you know, the the last four or five weeks, Oklahoma State just looks like a completely different team. Uh, looks much better than our power rankings uh, would would have them. UCF, though, some of the underlying numbers are, are better than the wins and losses. Um, probably not as good as our power rankings have them. So that's a that's a strange one. That feels like based on recent history. Oklahoma State should be able to go in there and win by a couple of touchdowns, but right. um, that's a weird spot, and it's you know the bounce house can can get crazy, can have uh -huh. a little bit of a hangover effect for Oklahoma State. So I don't know. I've got I've got my eye on on that one. It, it that one feels weird to me. This one. Oklahoma you heard it here first. It's this letdown for the Pokes. <laughs> I mean, you look at their away away results this year. It hasn't been impressive. I say that much. Yeah, I mean, and also it really is a letdown spot. I mean, when do you want to beat? Uh, when do are, are they going to keep doing Bedlam, even though they're in separate conferences, or is this going to be like A and M in Texas, where it goes sounds, away for a little bit? It's, I think it's, it's going the, away. A, yeah, sounds like there's no no plans as of now. Yeah, so when when do you want to beat Oklahoma more? If you're Oklahoma right. State, you know you want to beat them more. Uh, this year than ever. So this is absolutely a letdown spot, I feel like, for OK State. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's like the the penultimate uh, letdown spot here. So, yeah, I mean, I could easily see taking uh, Oklahoma State uh, to, to lose against UCF. But, I mean, also, I bet on UCF this year, and they are yet another team that has let me down. <laughs> so I don't know how much uh, faith I have in them either. But that is going to do it for us in week 11. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at campus, the number two Canton at campus to Canton at CFB winning edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E for Xavier and at Fogman sports. 
myself. That is it for us, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.